возлюбленной Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его, рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Субтитры 
Евангелия Луки, глава 18, с 18 по 27 стих. Luke, chapter 18, chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. He said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was rich. When Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He said, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. These were gates into Jerusalem. They were very... There were the Sabbath gates for those who were running late that only one person can go through. Even it was, it was difficult for a man to go through, but it was difficult for a camel to go through those gates. And he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The disciples had said, see, how can we be saved? They had momentarily discovered that they have a certain relationship to riches. They thought that riches are good. And now it turns out that if you are rich, uh, it's difficult to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus furthermore says, Children, uh, that the salt is not in this, that you're rich. But when money rules over you, you can be rich. But it's important for money not to rule over you. Very rarely will you find a rich person who will not be led by money. Therefore, the young person, as, as it seemed to him, that from his youth he had followed the law and he had riches. And he was clothed in the status of a commander. However, according to this dialogue with Christ, it becomes known that he was not um, established in the fact that he could inherit eternal life. He is fulfilling the law. He is Jewish. He is making a covenant with God. But deep inside, he knows that that which he does, which he is doing, he cannot inherit eternal life. And therefore, he asks a question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? When he had seen teacher in Christ who had surpassed those rabbis who he previously knew, and inside he always, he always thought, I am filling the law, I am bringing a tithe of tenth of what I have, and yet inside there is no, no, no assurance that you will be saved. Jesus had answered him and had revealed to him the secret that, that what he must do to inherit eternal life. 
In according to the words of Jesus, first, eternal life in the format of the kingdom of God is an undiminishing treasury kept in heaven where things are not breaking and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there neither moth nor rust destroys and where things are not breaking and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Second, according to its nature, eternal life in the format of the kingdom of God never expresses itself outside of Christ or outside of God, outside of the Holy Spirit. It is always personified in the face of God. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. A person who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. First John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. The manifestation of eternal life in the face of the Son of God is multifaceted. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. I am just providing certain definitions reminding you of what the kingdom of God in, in, in man is. Fourth, despite the fact that eternal life dwells in heaven, in certain circumstances, it is called to abide in the heart of a person. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. In fifth, eternal life in the face of the creator of all the visible and invisible is the lawful of all treasures that dwell on the earth. As it is written, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 26, the earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. Apostle Paul took these words from the prophets and psalms because they are mentioned numerous times in prophets and psalms. Thus, a person who has in himself eternal life can have authority over its treasures only in those boundaries for which he carries a responsibility before God. And with this, it's possible to have eternal life and to have all the riches on the earth and yet have nothing. Apostle Paul says, we have nothing, yet have, having nothing, we have everything. God wanted us to look at all that there is and to understand that all of this belongs to God and therefore to us as well, to the children of God. We are those who have the kingdom. You ask, why can't I use this? Well, can children in the house of the Father use everything? Or can they use only that which the Father allows them to use up until a certain time? And only when they sit on the throne of their father, only then all of the inheritance will come to them when they sit on the throne of their father. Before this, the father is going to give them just as much as he finds necessary in order to discipline them for the throne. God's life correctly functioning in us, all of these boundaries will correctly um, expand in our life. And this kind of expansion will have divine balance, which means that its expansion will flow in all substances and spheres of our life in equal proportions. If we, in some kind of sphere, due to some kind of reasons, 
do not demonstrate obedience to the laws of this life and the result of this disobedience will have an effect on all spheres of our life. Having violated in one sphere, we allow the devil to come in into all levels of our of our lives. Devil, as a strategist, knows this order, and therefore he does not encroach upon all spheres of our life, but he only chooses that sphere which in our eyes seems not as important to us and that we don't give any meaning to. And this kind of sphere that seems little in our eyes is the word that we speak, or tongue. We hear that each word either will kill us or will resurrect us. But if we say some kind of unpleasant word or a word that is not in our heart or condemning somebody or accepting gossip upon somebody and passing it on, can you imagine what will happen? You will have destruction in all spheres of your life. We try to be vigilant in all spheres, but we fail to be vigilant with our tongue. This is the most important. This is important sign according to which we can define a spiritual person. Meekness. He bridles his lips. He does not allow words to just fly into the wind. Luke Chapter 18, verses 18 to 27. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, all that, these, all that you have, sell and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus Seeing that he was sorrowful, said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The words that we speak the words that you speak can lead you the word can lead you to sin a word that is incorrectly spoken therefore all the calamity that falls upon us it comes from the word you will say yes we're talking about tithes we think that money affects a lot of things and when we say this immediately this word gives devil an opportunity to encroach in all spheres of our lives he doesn't encroach right away even when he receives authority he waits sometimes he waits for a long time and then he encroaches and you will know where this is coming from but this is for the word that you had spoken at some point and did not take it back. You called your husband, your wife, your children a bad word. The driver who had cut you off on the road, I remember there was one brother who stood up and said when he understood this, I, I repent, I am not going to call those who cut me off animals, I always call them donkeys. Well, good thing calls them donkeys, and this word had returned back to him. It wasn't. This word had 
allow devil to, to penetrate all spheres of his life, all his relationships with God, his children, his family. Let us understand this. Therefore, unbeknownst to us, devil receives authority over other spheres of life and those proportions in which he was able to take to control the sphere that he had initially encroached on. For us, devil, what he does is those, he waits for that moment of time when we become very weak to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And one of these so-called spheres that we think as little is service to God in tithes and offerings, which honor God, magnify God, open the path into the gates of the Lord through our lips, not just through our offerings. If we simply bring them and we don't say anything, we need to, without which we do, we need to bind it with word. Why do you think that every time we bring our offerings and after this we proclaim that manifestation? So that that which we have brought, for it to be ratified, for it to be affirmed, all that you do, you must affirm it with word. To affirm it, your action with word, because our words in this first commandment that we ratify, it is, is the, it helps unleash the life, eternal life in us with all of its blessings. The secret to inheriting eternal life is contained in the fact that if a person is able to move his voluntary offerings in the format of tithes and give them, according to the commandments of God. It's written that when you bring them into my house, then say before God, your God, that I have separated the tithes from my home. I have done according to your word. I did not give this from the dead. I did not give it in sorrow. And look upon your inheritance, and may your blessing come down upon your nation, not upon me, upon your nation. You will not receive the blessing outside of the nation of God. This blessing is going to be among the people. You must make yourself partakers of the people of God. And therefore, we don't repeat this unique proclamation just because this is a principle, the principle of divine truth. And therefore, when God asks of this young person his whole, from his whole heart, why does he ask for this young man for all that he has? Because this young man relied on his riches. If a person is held captive, he will say, give all that you have. If he is not, he will say, give a tithe and I will bind you to this. Usually people say, Lord, I give you my, I remember one, um, congregate had prayed, Lord, I give you my, my wife, I give you my house. I, after service, came to him and said, listen, why are you violating scripture? Did God ask you for your wife, 
your children. He said, give me your heart because your heart is not with your wife or your house. It's with your children. For Abraham, his heart was with Isaac, not in riches. He had many riches, but his heart was with Isaac. He waited for him for a long time. And God had sought that where his heart was. Give me Isaac, give me your heart. Where your heart is, there God will ask from. Because our heart is there where we consider our treasure to be. And so when God asks for our heart, as Abraham had done, let's read Luke 1610. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust is in what is least is unjust also in much. And therefore the young man which we had met with in Luke, in the book of Luke, he was sorrowful because Christ said that if he wants to inherit the kingdom of God, he has to distribute all his riches. It follows that for him, this stumbling block to enter to enter into the kingdom of heaven were his riches. For certain reasons, when offering tithes, he had pursued material goods. As Cain had offered his sacrifice by pursuing not the face of God, but what God had, which means that he sowed in the flesh, which opened the path to mammon. Each time we use faithful means by pursuing unfaithful goals, when we take the faith, when we take proclamations, and when we pursue an unfaithful goal, we are headed in a backward direction, apart, away from the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to honor God with tithes and offerings, affirming before him that we are his belonging. And let us see together. I am a foreigner, the song called I am a foreigner. This is what the patriarch, the apostles, had called themselves. That they are foreigners here on earth. When they said that they are foreigners, in doing so, they affirmed that their citizenship is in heaven. That America is not their country, their citizenship, that Georgia, Ukraine, Russia, Japan, Canada, Germany, Africa are not their country. Our country is heaven and our citizenship is there. Remember this. And therefore, let us sing together. Субтитры 
And so I will remind you, as I have said before, that each time when the people of God had brought their offerings either in the, in the tabernacle Moses or the Temple of Solomon, according to the words of Moses, they were called to raise their hands on their offerings and proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to do for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give in purity. I do not give in sorrow. And I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, Right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so those who have a Bible, you can open along with me a place of scripture, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness in which shines the life and resurrection of Christ. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. In studying this place of Scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer, closer to the truth version of this translation. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1-2. Therefore, sprinkling yourselves with the reigning teachings of Christ and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God. 
God. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Each of the four teachings possesses in itself a triplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. In a certain format, as far as God in the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism in its three functions, baptism in water, Holy Spirit and fire, as well as the doctrine of laying on of hands in three functions, in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. Therefore, we turn to studying the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the western side of heavenly Jerusalem in a combination of three gates. We have noted that the doctrine of resurrection contains in itself three levels of birth, which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born from above or being born of God. This is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne. We know that in Scripture there exists two kinds of resurrection. This is the resurrection of justification and the resurrection of condemnation. John 5, 28-29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. In Scripture, the term resurrection relating to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead contains meanings such as the life of God, the water of life, the spirit of life, the word of life in the seed of the kingdom of heaven, atonement, revival, imperishability, renewal, the light of the life of God, the order of the life of God, hope of our heritage in God, and planting in the house of the Lord. Furthermore, we have noted that the divine trinity of baptism is called to accentuate for us the death of Christ, whereas the three levels of birth contained in birth from God or the teaching about resurrection are called to accentuate the life of Christ for us. In a certain format and the doctrine of resurrection, we have already studied the level of birth from water and have stopped to study the level of birth from the Spirit. We have noted that birth from the Spirit in the twelve foundations of the walls of New Jerusalem is the eighth foundation, and it is made out of a precious barrel stone. The precious stone barrel includes all varieties of emerald, is close to the color sea green, shimmery and gold, and is transparent as air. However, sometimes this gem can simultaneously cast different shades of pink, blue, and green. The ancient wise men called it the stone of the four winds, or the stone, holding in submission the four winds of the earth, because its color scheme is found in all twelve bases and on all twelve precious stones located on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, and not just on all precious stones of heavenly Jerusalem. It's also found in the breastplate of judgment. From which we include that when God builds a relationship with the person through the powers contained in the birth of the Spirit, He speaks to the person through Urim and Thummim, 
with the voice of the wind in the face of the Holy Spirit. And if a person has this breastplate of judgment in his heart, then God turns to this person with the voice of the wind in the face of the Holy Spirit, which in this a foundation represents the powers of the four winds in the name of the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector. Studying the meaning of the name of the Apostle engraved on the eighth foundation of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, we came to the conclusion that this is Matthew, the tax collector, or Levi Alphaeus. Together, the four names of the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector, called Levi Alphaeus, means the famous messenger of the Father, called to collect what is holy unto the Lord in the face of the chosen, in order to bind them to the choices made by In a certain format, we have already studied the powers contained in the name Matthew the tax collector. Therefore, let us turn to the powers contained in birth from the Spirit. And of course, in the format of this sermon, it is impossible to unveil all the powers contained in the relationship with God that are possible and are called to flow only in the format of birth from the Spirit. However, I will try to, in certain components, present the important functions and power that are contained in the format of the teaching that yields birth from the Spirit. Birth from the Spirit is the door to the entrance of the kingdom of heaven or reigning with Christ on his throne. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So it is specifically birth from the Spirit that opens the door to being born to the throne or to the kingdom of heaven. Specifically, at the level of birth from the Spirit, a person receives the opportunity to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, whereas God receives the opportunity to establish himself in his Father, as it is written, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We should remember that a person who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit in a state of infancy remains carnal and does not become spiritual because he is incapable of being led by the Holy Spirit. For this, he needs to be born from the Spirit. The functions of birth in the Spirit should not be mixed with the functions contained in baptism in the Holy Spirit, because upon baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the death of Christ, whereas upon birth from the Spirit, we are clothed in the power of His resurrection. If someone is not born from water and Spirit, he cannot be born to the throne, inherit the throne, and sit on the throne. Birth from the Spirit transforms a person from being carnal to spiritual and brings into his genetic program the nature of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, opportunities of the Spirit, capabilities of the Spirit, and powers of the Spirit. The nature and properties of the Holy Spirit are unique and differ from the nature of the Father and Son in the sense that in the nature of the Holy Spirit, first, there lack receptors in the need to accept fame, and secondly, there is no self-defense against neglect. He cannot be. He cannot defend himself when he's when he's neglected. The Father can, the Son can, the Holy Spirit can. This insecurity and nakedness of the Creator in front of the creation 
plunges the human intellect into bewilderment. Genesis 6.3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. From this verse, we can know that the Holy Spirit cannot protect himself when he is neglected. He is going to continue to fulfill his functions until the Father steps in and protects him. This is very important for us, for this character trait to also be present in us, because all of us want to be protected. However, God wants us to also have the state of nakedness and insecurity that, so that we are able to accept reproaches and neglect and not to not to be not to carry out hate and vengeance and, and offense but to thank God as apostles had done when they were hurt when they were stoned they were glad that they had received the opportunity to suffer for Christ it is this trait of the Holy Spirit that is going to to specifically speak to man when he is born from the spirit then he will understand this but before this he's going to be led to a stupor and won't understand this and will try to defend himself second birth from the spirit creates life and carries healing that under no circumstances can be used by the flesh John 6, 63, it is a spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirits and they are life. The words that Jesus spoke that were then written by his apostles were in carried resurrection in life under the condition that a person accepted them on the conditions of Scripture. This means that upon hearing them, these words carried in themselves the power of resurrection and life and carried for a person freedom and healing from sin, weakness, illness, and premature death. The secret of healing was comprised in the fact that Christ, in his death, took upon himself our sins, weaknesses, and illnesses, which in practice means that God placed fullness and freedom from sin, weaknesses, and illnesses on the accounts of each of us. However, to withdraw from this account the grace that we need in the subject of freedom from sin, weakness, and illness, we need to write a check in our name that testifies of our belonging to this account. And our belonging to the account on which is placed our freedom from sin, illness, and weakness is found in the resurrection of Christ. Because of which, to take off of our account freedom from sin, weakness, and illness, we must present to the owner of our heavenly bank, who keeps our account in heaven, evidence of our partaking to resurrection in the format of birth 
from the Spirit. Because it is a Spirit that carries life that is contained in the words of the faith of our heart. The faith of our heart that we proclaim with our lips that is outside of the resurrection contained in the format of birth from the Spirit does not have a legal foundation under itself. You can as many times as you want to say, I thank you, Lord, that you have taken my illnesses, my sins, my shame, my, my weaknesses. Let all of this be mine. It won't be. This freedom won't be yours until a person is born from the Spirit, until he presents evidence. You can say these words, but you must present evidence and resurrection in the format of birth from the Spirit. People who do not understand how they must cooperate with the truth that is contained in birth from the Spirit do not and cannot present evidence of their belonging to resurrection in the format of birth from the Spirit, because of which they cannot withdraw it approximately looks as if one of us opened a bank account for our son or daughter and put a very large fortune on this account, which he could withdraw only after a certain period of time in which his son or daughter marry the person we have appointed for them. And to make such a union, the existing heir had to firstly reach a certain age and secondly to make a marital contact or covenant with a the person that we have appointed. Heavenly Father has laid on each of us an unsearchable and incorruptible inheritance contained in the resurrection of his Son, which we can realize when we are born from the Spirit. Otherwise, when we reach a certain spiritual age corresponding to the spiritual age of Christ and then conclude a marital contract with Christ contained in the covenant of salt, without the presence of this contract expressed in the seal of righteousness, the Lord knows those who are His, we cannot take freedom from sin, weakness, and illness off our accounts. We can receive this seed only by being born from the Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit. On its own, baptism in the Holy Spirit without the presence of birth in the Spirit will bring us little benefit because by speaking in tongues we will constantly resist the Holy Spirit because we, being carnal, cannot hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and comprehend His actions. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clinging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. First Corinthians 13, 1-3. Pay attention here. Very many saints who have received, who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and think that they are spiritual and therefore they can, thus they can never be cultivated because somebody at some time had told them that they've been born from the Spirit when they were born, baptized in the Holy Spirit and that they are now led by the Holy Spirit. They were shown the difference between baptism in the Holy Spirit and birth from the Spirit. First, a person must be born 
In order to make a covenant of salt, God makes a covenant with those who are born. Yes, He gives baptism in the Holy Spirit, but this is not birth from the Spirit. It can help a person be born from the Spirit under the condition that he is going to understand any commandment, any promise acts only when we understand it. And at the level at which we understand it. In fact, a carnal person will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit but will not believe that this is the voice of the Holy Spirit because he will consider it foolish. The voice of the Holy Spirit in a preached word could be understood only with the heart. But the carnal or natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 However, he continues to speak in tongues and use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, however, this, is, this does not mean that God will not have a relationship with people who, due to their infancy, cannot yet inherit the promises of grace placed on their account. God will speak to them on their level. Just as he had spoken with Abraham, on whose account he placed the inheritance of the land and fatherhood over all the nations of the earth. And to inherit the land and become the father of many nations, Abraham needed to hold on to the proclamations of trust while holding on to the word of patience. Hebrews 11, 8-10 By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwells in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Pay attention here. In fact, he had not yet received anything. On his account was placed a city whose maker and builder is God in the seed of Isaac. And he saw this, and he waited for it. On the level of infancy, God gives his children freedom from sin, weakness, and illness through faith, that is called the gift of faith, in which a person could receive the gift of grace independent of the cooperation of his faith with the faith of God. The gift of grace and the gifts of faith, when we receive something as a gift of faith, this does not depend on the cooperation of our faith with the faith of God. When God gives some kind of gift, some per sometimes a person does not believe and he resists God, but God can still heal him. He does not depend on his faith. He depends on himself. And when a person is born from the Spirit, then God demonstrates for him freedom from sin, illness, and weakness through the seed of faith, for the fulfillment of which it is necessary for our faith to cooperate with the faith of God. If, who remembers, very many people, when they had come to God, they had lived through certain things that they continue to remember about even today, as a nostalgia, as a past nostalgia that at one point, God had spoken with them, but God had answered them. He answered according to the gift of grace, not because you were able to cooperate with your, your faith with the faith of God and were obedient, but because you were disobedient, and your disobedience was in your lack of knowledge. You didn't know that you were being disobedient. You did things that were displeasing to God, but he stooped down to your level, just as a mother stoops down to the level of her child who, who saw his his, his trousers. She washes him, washes him, he does it again, she washes him. But when you come to the full age and when you are sodden, 
he won't, he won't change you. It is very dangerous. Because here, our faith is obedience to the word that we understand. We understand what stands behind it. We understand what we are paying. We accept the seed of healing. And we begin to grow it. We water it. We wait. But a person who is found in infancy says, what are you talking about? Healing is, you place your hand on me and that's it. I get up and I'm fine again. But a spiritual person says, healing is therapy. It is a process of time. I accept the seed. I must grow it. I must look upon the invisible and not pay attention to my emotions and what people are going to say to me and what doctors are going to say to me. But I'm going to say, the Lord lives my stronghold. I will look upon the invisible. But infants, they can't look upon the unseen or the invisible. They don't have an understanding of how to cooperate their faith with the faith of God. They don't know what the faith of God is and what their faith is. The faith of God comes from the Word of God. Faith is from hearing the Word of God. Whereas the Word of God is the commandment of my faith is obedience. It's written that not all had listened who had heard this. They had their own understanding. I don't understand this this way and so forth. All right, let's continue on further. Those born from the Spirit cannot... Those born from the Spirit can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart and follow this voice. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What does this mean? What is this phrase? What did Christ mean by this? The spirit or the wind is the breath of life in the human heart. If you take a look at what the spirit in Hebrew means, it means the breath of life in the human heart. Because here it says what the spirit does in someone who is born of the spirit. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. What the Holy Spirit does in a person inside of him. This is the breath of life in the human heart, the wind coming before God in his heart. It is the spirit of life in the heart of man. It is ancient, pristine, eternal. It is a breath of coolness amid the heat. It is inspired by a loved one. It is location, mood, and the intention in the inner man. It is the source of the human heart of thoughts, desires, and feelings. Good, good feelings. The phrase, the wind or the spirit blows where it wishes, means he acts where, where it wishes, whom he loves, whomever he wants, and whom he finds pleasure, who is hallowed, and whom he finds dedication, who is godly and righteous. This is where he breathes or blows in whom he loves, and whom he finds pleasure. The voice of the Spirit, or the wind, means sayings and an expression of the thought in the heart of a person. So the Holy Spirit, in the heart of a person, pours out his thoughts. To hear the voice, he says, he hears the voice, means to listen, to learn, understand, and obey. The wind blows. The Holy Spirit in the heart of a person born of God is the source of the thoughts, desires, and feelings of God. 
Святой Дух не знаешь, откуда приходит Дух, но не можешь знать духом. Обратите внимание, вот эта фраза не знает, This is what it means. Cannot tell where the wind blows from. And do not know where it goes means will lead in an unknown direction, the path of which is unknown and has not been previously walked before. This is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is how every person born of the Spirit is led by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 42 This talks about how God leads, that you, you don't know what He is leading you. If you know the next step, you don't need faith. You don't need this kind of obedience. I'm talking about faith with trust. Apart from obedience, there must also be trust. And trust is present only when you don't know but go, you trust Him. It's one thing to sing when we sing, and there I go not knowing and do not strive to know. I, I hope to give my path fully to the Lord. People sing this, not understanding only a spiritual person can acknowledge these truths and act in them. Take a look at what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 42. I have held my peace a long time says God to Isaiah, I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor, I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up the pools. Why is he going to do this? What is he going to destroy? Who is he going to give birth to? It says, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. Blind. The blind who have stopped seeing what Satan is showing them, what people are showing them. They stopped hearing what Satan says, what people say, and what their flesh says. He who is blind like my servant. These kind of people, when scripture is referring to, if a person born of water tries to act according to the principles of those born of the Spirit, then he will find himself in the nets of delusion, as he will pass off as the voice of the Holy Spirit, either the dreams of his heart or the thoughts of the Spirit of the seducer. I continually come across people who say, the Holy Spirit opened this to me. He said this to me. I feel that the Holy Spirit is leading me this way. And I can clearly see that these are the dreams of his heart that he is in fact lost. The Holy Spirit doesn't do these things. He doesn't reveal these things. He doesn't act this way. 
People don't know the behavior of the Holy Spirit in themselves. They accept the voice of a seducer for the voice of the Holy Spirit. These are people who are born of water, not children of God. But they believe the Holy Spirit told me this, and I answered him this. The Holy Spirit told me that, and I answered him that. This person goes behind the pulpit and talks about it. How about you open the principles that the Holy Spirit unveils? And no need to say, I said this, he said that. He said this, I said that. This is what happens with those who are only born of water. He asks them a question and they say, Master, I don't know if you will open to me. He asks questions, not we. He places questions for us. Those questions. Do you know what you see? What is this? He says, my master, I don't know this unless you tell me. And then he begins to explain, these are those who are born from the Spirit. This is a dialogue. God says first he asks questions to us, and then he will answer you these questions. And we ourselves try to ask questions, we wait for an answer. And then when we when we receive something, we say, the Holy Spirit answered me this. Let's read one more place place of Scripture, written in Isaiah chapter 41. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave him as a destiny sword, as driven stubble to his path? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. Pay attention. This is talking about. This is written about those who are born of the Spirit. I, when I bring these things, and when a person is born from the Spirit, I will lead him through unknown ways. He will never be able to rely on his own religious experience. He won't be able to rely on that communication that he had yesterday with God. The fact that God spoke with you yesterday, today he won't do the same thing. This is what happens with, um, with, with babes, not those who are born from the Spirit. Take a look at David. He understood this as a man born of God from the Spirit. Each time God gave him instructions, they were different, and he never relied on the experience of yesterday's victory. Today, God told him, go straight, and you will be victorious. But then, again, the next war stood before him, he could have said, I remember how God said to me what to do. I have experience. I need to go straight, or I need to go forward. But he says, Lord, will you give me this, this battle? How do I overcome it? And God says, go from... Go from, come from the side and wait. And when you hear the sound on the heights, on the tops of the trees, then move. Because that means that I am going before you. Then David with his army goes from the, from the side. The army of Philistine comes, draws near. Everyone looks at what, what to do. He's waiting. And when he heard the wind and the tops of the trees move, David said, go forth. And the Philistines had trembled because the Lord had gone before Israel. 
This is what happens with everyone who is born from the Spirit. For those born of the Spirit will be protected from hunger in the land of the Philistines, which will come upon the land of Israel for seven years. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Then Elijah spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, now let's take a look at these words closely, what the king said. Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left to the land until now. She didn't work on the field. She had left. The field had remained. Someone had sown it, scattered, sold. And now this someone must now give this something to her that she didn't do. The king says yes, because this is her field. She did not sell it. You worked on this land, you used her. Now all the proceeds that come from this land, give it to her. This land is hers. Let's take a look further. The Bible is in fact a very economical book in which every word and every phrase is endowed with deep meaning and pursues the great purposes of God hidden from the prying eyes of the wise of this world and the undedicated. Therefore, for those who are dedicated to God, whom He chose so that they can proclaim His perfection, the knowledge of every word and every phrase has a faithful meaning. This story about this woman and about Elisha has four, contains four, four chapters long. Not one story in Scripture has so much room as this, that there was a famine. And if you'll read from chapter 4, right now we read the end, which is the eighth chapter. But we need to begin the story from the fourth chapter. From chapter 4 to 8, there is this famine that lasts. And this, at the end here, is the end of, of the famine. Now she returns. The woman in her house, to which so much space is given in Scripture, is a symbol of the remnant chosen by God and represents the image of the bride of the Lamb in the category of saints born of the Spirit. We will see why, furthermore. This woman, being childless at one time, according to the word of Elisha, gave birth to a son 
who later died of sunstroke, which symbolizes the wrath of God. But when Elisha prayed for the dead child, the child was resurrected. This child is a symbol of the greatest promise, for the sake of which God created the heavens and the earth, and for the sake of which He sent His Son to death and then raised Him up. And this great promise is likened to the image of the Son of God, who is the guarantee of our rapture upon the morning star. So he who has this kind of son will have this guarantee. Many other promises found in Scripture serve this promise for the sole purpose of bringing man into the image of the Son of God and tying him to the vine of the choice of grace. The Philistines, among whom this woman was saved, according to Elisha's word, from a famine that lasted seven years, this is an image of people living in the land of Canaan but not belonging to this land. These are people uh, whose circumcision in the sight of God was not circumcision. However, the famine that came to the land of Israel for certain reasons did not spread to the land of the Philistines. Just like God blessed the widow from Zarephath of Sidon for the sake of Elijah, who was sent to her house during the famine in the same way, God blessed the Philistines for the sake of this woman who was sent by Elisha to be saved from hunger. Now, imagine that all these events take place in the heart of the human nature and not somewhere else. The Philistines in our nature represent the substance that does not inherit the kingdom of God. This is flesh and blood. Scripture says that corruption cannot inherit incorruption, and the mortal cannot inherit immortality. The lands of Israel is the definition of a new man. Hunger in the land of Israel is a thirst for water and hunger for bread, and the subject of thirst to be led by the Holy Spirit, and hunger for the truth of God, which determines a man the presence of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5, 6. In practice, such a hunger in this case is seen as bliss or hope for an inheritance contained in truth which is placed on our account, and which we can receive after seven years. Thirst and hunger lasting for seven years during famine is the definition of fullness in Christ, seven years. When they conclude, the result of which such, the result of such a famine is found in the words of the kingdom of Israel, or the king of Israel, to return to her all the proceeds that belong to her from the field, from the day which she left the land to this day. If you are able to look upon the invisible and will remain unshakable and immovable, you will hear this. Now return to her everything that the land has given to this day, because blessed are those people who hunger and thirst. They endure famine, they desire for righteousness, they wait for when this righteousness will be fulfilled. It has not yet been fulfilled. If it was fulfilled, they would not have thirsted for this righteousness. However, before this unnamed woman from Shunem received the revelation that the promise of the morning star and the vase of her born son, she can receive only from hunger and thirst for truth. She must meet the requirements of the bride of the Lamb, which are contained in the authority of birth from the Spirit. Now I'm going to read now then from the fourth chapter, not from the eighth chapter, but from the fourth chapter of Second Kings. I'm going to stop at certain verses, and I'm going to 
Um, and I'm going to explain them, and then once again I'll return to the fourth chapter. So, beginning. What happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Basically, the woman from Shunem. What is the woman from Shunem? The Shunemite. It is Sulamita. This is not a name. This is that where she comes from. It's her origin. The woman from Shunem, Sulamita. Because the name Sulamita means a woman living in Shunem. And the name Sulamita also means peaceful or Perfect. The riches of Sulamita, who was contained in the faith of her heart to be an heir of the kingdom of heaven, because that which God had placed on her account was in her heart. She accepted this in her heart. This faith was food that filled the thirst of the Holy Spirit who was represented by Elisha. When we have hunger and thirst, and it has been placed on our accounts, and we desire it, then this hunger is the bread that God feeds from, that the Holy Spirit feeds from, where He finds comfort and quenches His hunger. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. James 2.5 And now let's continue reading on further. Second Kings chapter 4 And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. He passes by us regularly. He continually passes by us. We don't know where he comes from and where he goes. He passes by us regularly because he's holy. Please let us make a small upper room. Small upper room is that which is found on the roof, on the wall. And let us put a bed for him there. And a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. These four things in this room define a person who is born from the Spirit, a bed, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. And so a person who passes by us regularly points to the behavior and relationship of the Holy Spirit for people who are born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Uh, we've already been met with this. Cannot tell where it comes from, cannot tell in advance what direction one must go until he is shown by the Spirit. A wall is an image of the human heart that is born of the Spirit and has grown into the full measure of the stature of Christ. I am a wall, and my breasts are like towers. Therefore, in the eyes of him I will be as one who has found righteousness. Small of a room on the wall is a seal of righteousness in the heart of a person called the Lord knows those who are his. And you know that the word knows relates to intimate relations, and this comes this occurs usually on the bed. There is 
это место поклонения, в котором It is a teaching of resurrection present there, and when a man believes in resurrection, he believes in it. He does not try to receive from the death of Christ that which is found in resurrection, because everyone tries to receive from the death of Christ on his cross, they try to receive Whereas, despite the fact that he took our illnesses, weaknesses upon himself on the cross, we can receive this freedom in resurrection because he has given, he has given birth to us through his resurrection. Resurrection is where this life comes from. Therefore, she says, let us place this table let us place this chair, the conscience of a person from the position of which the Holy Spirit brings to life the judgments of the Lord in relation to man itself. To man himself. Lamb is the word of faith in the heart of a person that gives light to the ancient path of goodness, leading a person to the Heavenly Father. This is what she had done. This is an image of a spiritual person in her heart. In her heart, there was an upper room on the wall. She had created a place for the Holy Spirit. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite woman. The woman from Shunam. Take a look. It, her name is not mentioned here. It talks about this Shunammite, Sulamite woman, Sulamita woman, the woman from Shunam. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, to Gehazi, say now to her, pay attention here. It's interesting. It's interesting, it seems very strange that she comes, the servant is standing there, Elisha is laying there on the bed, and he said to the servant, say now to her, she's standing there, but he doesn't talk directly to her. He talks to the servant, and we talked about how um, in Eastern culture, for example, that there is a daughter cannot talk to her father-in-law directly. She has to talk through her husband. She has to say, can you ask your father, what should we do here or what about this? She doesn't have a right to talk to him directly. If the husband is not there and she needs to ask something, she will look at uh, any, any object. Like she'll look at a table or a chair. She'll say, table, please ask my master Ask him, where is my husband? And then he will answer to the table and not her directly. She'll tell the table because she had talked to him through the table. And this is common in the Eastern, Eastern cultures back in the day. He would say, table, please tell, my, please tell her that I have sent my son here and here. This is a very similar situation here. Pay attention here. He says to Gehazi, uh, he called her and she stood before him and he said to Gehazi, Say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered to Gehazi, I dwell 
among my own people. If you pay attention, Elisha, in the presence of this woman, conducts a dialogue with her, not directly, but through this serving Gehazi. In other words, Gehazi, as it were, serves as a translator in a conversation between Elisha and this woman, as if they're talking in a different language, although they were talking in one. Elisha's servant is an image of the Hebrew spirit, which directly cooperates both with the Holy Spirit and with our mind. Therefore, the Holy Spirit will never directly address our mind and conduct a dialogue with it, but only through our intuition, which is one of the substances of our spirit. He will speak to our spirit, and our spirit is then going to speak with us. That's why when we say, the Holy Spirit told me this, it means that, in fact, that your reborn spirit had heard this from the Holy Spirit and then passed it along to you. Yes, you can say, yes, the Holy Spirit said this, but he said this to you through your own spirit. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And he has the answer, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So the husband, he can't produce seed. He's too old. His seed is no longer active. So he said, Call her. When he had called her again, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. You know that at that time to be barren was a great shame. And if the womb was closed, and at that time there weren't so such clinics where a, a woman can look at, perhaps there's a reason for it, perhaps there's some kind of reason. If God has closed a womb and it's closed, it opened it, it was open, and she understood that she was barren, and her husband was old. And therefore she said, No, my Lord, man of God, no lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. The old husband is the flesh, which on one hand points to the fact that the flesh cannot use the promises given to the spirits, and on the other hand, this is refusal to hope in the flesh. Only a person born of the Spirit can receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven to be the king and priest to God. And this promise is given in the seed of a male child who is to lead all nations with a rod of iron. And therefore it says, And the child grew, now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And it's Usually in Israel, parents act towards their children, not like in other nationalities. And if something happens with the child, the father will never say, Take him to the mother. He himself will take up this child and he will go with him and the mother will also join in but he'll never leave a child. But here it says he had some kind of indifference. He said, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. We know that the harvest is the end of the age. The child who went to his father to the reapers, this is an attempt to use a promise given to the spirit for the flesh. 
he went to his flesh to his father. He saw that harvest begin and he can use this harvest. God begins his beginning to bless. And now let's find places of scripture. The time has come when we must come out of the economic crisis, when we must be prosperous and so forth. But as soon as he had come there, the sunlight had hit him. This sunlight was deadly to him. As a result, the flesh was unable to take advantage of this promise, just as God struck this promise with a blow of sunlight. Because this child, was, this was the promise that was given to the spirit, not for the flesh, but the flesh decided to use it during the time of harvest. And then the old husband in the face of the flesh sends through his servant who symbolizes the human mind this promise to his mother, so to the inmost man. Ultimately, all the proclamations of a new inmost person are ineffectual. And she went up, take a look at what she had then done, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. But she didn't say that the child had died and that she had closed them in this, in this room. She had put him on the bed of Elisha. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. This is an image, therefore don't think that this is in a literal sense. Here there is a, there's, a, there's a story, a symbol, otherwise it wouldn't have been written in the Bible, this is an image for us. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. The fairly rich woman could afford to go to Mount Carmel on some fast-moving camel or on some high pedigree horse were determined the status of their masters and were available in the stables of all the rich people of that time. However, for certain reasons, she saddled the donkey and commanded her servant to leave her donkey by the bridle and did not stop until she told him to, which indicates the fact that the servant was not informed of the plans of this woman and did not know either the direction or the goal to which he would lead the donkey with this woman. She would sit on the donkey and he would just simply go by foot and just lead her until she tells him to stop. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know why. The servant leading our donkey is the image of our will and our emotions that are in the control of our spirit. The horse is an image of war on which it is necessary to destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus has fulfilled his triumphant march into Jerusalem, he sat on the donkey, which no one had sat on before. But when he returns to Jerusalem to stand as the head of a thousand-year kingdom, he will enter Jerusalem on a white horse from whose position he will destroy the entire army of Antichrist. Therefore, a donkey is an image of peace. The camel is an image of both the bearer of the giver and the bearer of the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Eliezer, as the prototype of the Holy Spirit, went to Mesopotamia to choose a bride for Isaac, he used camels to ride. 
which were loaded with all the gifts of his master Abraham. A donkey is a testimony of peace, which in a relationship with God represents the image of the holy man who presents his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The donkey, camel, represent the image of our body, who is a carrier of the innermost treasure that we have inside of ourselves. It follows, that the, that it follows from this that a prayer which a person presents himself to God can be accepted, not because a person casts out demons and exercises the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but because a person comes to God in Christ Jesus by identifying himself in the sacrificial death of Christ and in his glorious resurrection. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never do you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Pay attention here. They decided to come to God uh, on their horses. We have done, and camels, we have done many things, we have brought many gifts, but where is a donkey? You can't come, and you don't need to, to please God with your spiritual gifts. But if you have the donkey, a symbol of obedience, Christ says, learn from me, I am meek and humble in heart. You can't come to God on a horse or on a camel and say, I have cast out demons in your name. I have done many wonders. He says, my friend, you're not on the correct animal. You should take a donkey. Those who come on a donkey with them, I will speak. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, that there was a notable woman. So she departed and went to the man of God on Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off and that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, it is well with you, it is well with your husband, it is well with the child, and she answered, it is well. Uh, Mount Carmel, we know that this is a garden of fruit trees, this is an image of the church on Carmel. On Carmel there was judgment over the, uh, over the idol of, of Baal. And so the place where the Holy Spirit dwells and from the position of which he acts in the interest of those who are born from the Spirit, and he will produce resurrection of your promise. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Go to the church, my friend. Stop saying, I'm, I want to be alone. Today there are so-called understandings to go from church to be on your own and cry out to God, go to church. Because there you will go on your own, God will be there. This woman was born from the Spirit. She knew where she had to go. She went to the church. When she came to the man of God on the mountain, on the hill, she held on to his feet and the Gehazi came but the man of God said leave her her soul is troubled and the Lord has hidden this from me and not told me this and she said did I ask a son of my Lord did I not say do not deceive me 
Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you need anyone, do not treat him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. Gehazi went and she remained and the mother said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. He arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but behind them was the Shunammite woman with Elisha. Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither force nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. There where he, he rested. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He did this as a revelation uh, from God. Don't think that every, every, this needs to happen every single time. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times. Seven times the child sneezed. And the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Again, the number seven, fullness. Elisha, the Holy Spirit, will not be alone in this room, will pray over this promise and stretch out over this promise. Because this was in her heart, it's written, the Holy Spirit testifies along with our spirit. She, along with him, figuratively had to be there. She had to be cooperating. Continue to stretch out over your promises that God has given you through the word, through the preached word. And we will see true resurrection in our lives. Amen. Let us pray. Let us bow our heads. All of those who desire to challenge illness, fear, dependence on sin, Elisha in the face of the Holy Spirit, is in this place to along with you stretch out over those promises that have died to you which God has placed on your account. He will resurrect them. We are going to pray along with you. This is a special moment for the heavens. These are for those who are born of the Spirit. Amen. I will pray along with you, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you, He is not against you, 
He is resurrection in life. He has risen. And with this resurrection, He can resurrect your promise. And by the power of this resurrection, He is able to breathe in you new strength. He can renew you. Your eyes closed, your hands raised to the heavens. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my pain, my loss, my, my shame. Hear me. Have mercy upon me. Let go of my sins. Wash me in the blood of your Son. I believe in your word. I accept this seed in my heart and right now before heaven and hell I want to proclaim that according to your word I am washed I am cleansed I am healed I am restored I am justified I am saved Amen Amen your sins and transgressions are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down upon you with his holy countenance and have mercy upon you and give you peace. May upon you fall that tens of thousands and not draw near to you. May all of these blessings, healings, and freedom come upon you and upon your descendants and may it be fulfilled upon you. And may all the people say, Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.